What's going on, man? Welcome back to the basement. I'm Ron. I've gotten a lot of comments over the last couple months asking, you know, Ron, give us like your biggest hits and your biggest misses and kind of break down what happened this season. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to do a nice little spin on our top 10 takeaways videos. You guys love those. So we're going to talk through our top 10 lessons learned, takeaways, observations from the entire 2022 fantasy football season and just kind of highlight some broad ideas because by the time we get to next year's draft season, we get to August, we're doing drafts. This season that we just had to wrap up is so far out of the rearview mirror that our you know perspective kind of gets warped and whatever the narratives are in fantasy land kind of warps our perspective along with the draft and trades and free agents to the point where we kind of completely wipe our memory clean of what just happened. So I kind of want to make this video as almost a time capsule to kind of give us a you know, fresh look of what actually happened here and some tangible, actionable takeaways from the 2022 fantasy football season. Maybe we'll even do a, a part two of this video where I kind of give you guys like a top 10 bold predictions for 2023 and kind of look forward. Um, so let me know if you guys want that. As always, if you enjoy, make sure down below, subscribe, leave a like. Let's go. Now, our first takeaway is just overall quarterback strategy. And I think this is one of the things that really killed me in best ball this year. I showed you guys my uh, profit across the board, my financials when it comes to fantasy football, and season-long best ball was pretty much the only format I played this year where I wasn't profitable, and I think it was because how I attacked the quarterback position. Now, what I mean by that is let's take a little bit of a deeper look here. This is actually best ball win rate or advance rate data. Hayden Winks has a really cool article on, I believe it's under blog. Maybe I'll link it down below um, if I don't yell at me. And he has a table going through the advance rates and the ADP of these players from Best Ball Mania 3, which was the biggest best ball contest from 2022 and as we see here i have their player team position their adp in the contest and then advancement rate from round one your implied advancement rate from round one is two out of 12 because the top two teams in every league advances to the playoffs so that would be two divided by 12 about 16.6 percent so 16 percent and above means that you didn't smash but you hit you didn't hurt your team Anything below that means you hurt your team. Anything way below that means you hurt your team. So like these red numbers, as you can see, and the green ones, right? Like 25% plus are really, really, really strong numbers in terms of, of advance rate. Takes your odds from advancing from one of six to one of four, which is really, really solid. And in terms of quarterbacks here, I sorted it by ADP. And I highlighted Trey Lance through Aaron Rodgers. Because you guys, you guys can kind of see here, there's this quarterback dead zone that I think I want to talk about a lot more next year because something that I think I got way wrong, I still stand by the Trey Lance pick. Trey Lance was one of my highest drafted players this year. I still still I still stand by it. I do think that he could have gotten to 16% plus advance rate if he played for an entire season. I do think that he had the profile of somebody that wasn't a middling QB1 type archetype like the rest of these guys, but everyone else, Russell Wilson through Aaron Rodgers, were clear landmines. And I remember going into drafts, sort of the way that I was attacking quarterback this year was Josh Allen's too expensive. Mahomes is probably fine. But I had Allen, Herbert, Mahomes, Lamar, Kyler. I'm trying to remember in like my redraft rankings, I had them all packed together because I wasn't going to, I was just going to take 
whatever the draft room let fall to me, I was going to take that quarterback. That was my idea. Just I'll take whatever of those five falls to me in like round five, round six, and I'll take them at value. The issue is of that group, the only guys that would fall to you if you did that were Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray. Lamar Jackson just barely got you a 17% advance rate, and then he sucked in the playoffs. He didn't, or he didn't play in the playoffs. And then Kyler Murray, another guy who got hurt. So the two guys that were falling to me routinely weren't the guys you needed. They needed to be Josh Allen, needed to be Mahomes, they needed to be Jalen Hurts, they needed to be Burrow. Now, Allen and Mahomes, I had on zero redraft managed teams. I still did fine in redraft managed, but I wish I had a Mahomes-Kelsey stack or a Josh Allen-Dig stack. I think that that was one of the biggest power plays you could have done in the 2022 season was spend up on a quarterback, but make sure you're correlated there with a Kelsey, with a Stephon Diggs, and kind of dominate through that way. And the issue is, is that I didn't pay up for Allen and Mahomes. Now, in best ball, I played so much best ball that I had exposure of everybody. But redraft manager, I didn't end up with Allen or Mahomes. I didn't end up with Herbert, but that didn't really hurt me. And the biggest issue is that if I missed out on those guys, right? So I had them pushed towards the back. If I missed out on those, I missed out on Hurts. Then I was like, you know what? I'll just take two of one of these guys that are highlighted. You know what? I'll go Trey Lance and Dak Prescott, and that'll be my quarterback duo. Looks good on paper, but I think it's one of the worst bets you can make. Because again... This is sort of a dead zone here where a lot of these guys, right, Russell Wilson through Aaron Rodgers, they're not going to give you the same type of rushing ceiling that Hurts, Murray, Kyler, Allen give you on a week-to-week basis. So it's already pretty much baked in. These guys aren't going to give you difference-making production. It's probably pretty comparable production to the guys who go later, like Tua did, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Daniel Jones, Jared Goff, all of those guys. And you're paying up, missing out on breakout running backs, breakout wide receivers. Like 77 through 88 were uh, Josh Jacobs, Tony Pollard, Ramondre Stevenson, maybe Devonta Smith area as well. So you're really hurting yourself by passing on those positional players and taking quarterback there. So it's just not the way to go. And I think going into this next year, I don't want to just have you know that group of five towards the back in an area where no, I'll just take whoever falls to me. I want to be a little bit more aggressive with those early round quarterbacks because it does show these quarterbacks early are giving you massive advantages. Like 25% plus advance rate, I cannot trust enough, is a massive, massive advantage. Allen, Mahomes, Hurts, they all gave you really, really solid advance rates. Now, I don't think late round quarterback is dead either. Um, I was tempted to say, you know, quarterback might be dead or late round quarterback is dead. I just don't think late round quarterback can compete straight up against what you can get early on. But if because you waited on quarterback, you can, you know, establish an advantage with early round running backs or wide receivers, I think you're in a good spot. But I think where you go wrong is what I did a lot in best ball is hedging and saying, you know what, I'm not going to go super, super late. I'm not going to go super, super early. I'll just take two in this small little window and I'll be all right. And that was probably foolish thinking. So I think moving forward, especially in best ball, I would like to take a stab at one guy early and then one guy super late, like those Tua's, Fields, Trevor Lawrence's, Daniel Jones's, or completely pass on that Traylon's Aaron Rodgers area and just take three of those late guys. I think Corain, the guy who, or Pat Corain, one of the best in the industry, coined legendary running backs, one BBM uh, three this past year. Uh, he had three quarterback built. He had uh, Tua, Tom Brady, and I want to say Daniel Jones. I think those were his three quarterbacks. Pretty solid three, but I think that that's the move. I think you should be hitting it with quantity instead of quality has to be one or the other. You can't hedge in the middle there and just take two stabs on guys in the dead zone. It won't be enough. Um, obviously, the absolute worst went wrong for these guys where Trey Lance got hurt, 
Russell Wilson, you know, the, the Broncos imploded. Dak got hurt. Stafford had a back injury. Everything else just kind of went belly up. Um, I don't think it's going to be as, as terrible there, but I, I think it's something to note when going into next year because I do think we're going to see quarterback completely get turned on its head in terms of how to play them because we've had this shift to these irreplaceable, like, upside-type quarterbacks where Josh Allen's ADP was 29.3 last year. When we look back next year, I think we're going to see Josh Allen, Mahomes, Jalen Hurts be like one, one, two turn round picks, uh, at least an underdog in best ball and probably in your home league, probably like round two uh, type picks where I think quarterbacks are going to sort of have a resurgence in terms of ADP. Now, our second takeaway here is legendary running backs might be dead at this point and wide receivers are really closing that gap. We're at a spot where we have now had two seasons without a legendary running back season. Now, if you're curious what a legendary running back season is, it's something coined by Pat Crane, winner of BBM3, one of the goats out there. And it's just pretty much the reason you pass on wide receiver early is to take a running back early in those first two rounds that has irreplaceable upside type production, right? Think the last guy who did it was Alvin Kamara in 2020. He had 25.2 points per game, had like a 50 bomb uh, in the finals. Before that, you had McCaffrey. Before that, you had Todd Gurley, David Johnson. Just, you know, super clear, dominant, dominant season. Like, I have a guy in my home league. Love him to death. Consider him, you know, a brother. But he's kind of our league taco. He has a championship win because he drafted Todd Gurley in, like, 2017 when you could, you know, just as a league taco, draft Todd Gurley in the second round, right, because he was good his rookie season, overdrafted second year, discount in year three because he won in the second round and year three is when he absolutely exploded he took Todd Gurley that year won the championship done deal that's the kind of upside you're getting here and JT Eckler the last two years our last two RB1s have been great but by no means because you're could your league taco draft one of those and then just automatically find themselves in the fantasy championship they said they gave you 22 points per game and 21.9 points per game which is historically super, super low. We're now having wide receivers who can compete with that, where Cup, Devontae Adams, Justin Jefferson, Tyree Kill the last two years have given you 21-plus points per game, just like Jonathan Taylor and Austin Eckler. So you're not really getting a massive, massive advantage at running back early, and the wide receivers, as we know, are safer. So it's tough to say, right, because you can say it's one of two things. Are legendary running backs extinct? Are we, in an, are we in a spot in the NFL where legendary running backs don't exist anymore? Are players not getting enough touches? They're not staying healthy enough to sustain a you know, 23, 24-plus point-per-game season like the David Johnsons, the Todd Gurley's, the Christian McCaffrey's of the last like five years? It's tough to say. It's really tough to say because, I mean, Kamara did it in 2020, and he didn't even hit 1,000 rushing yards. I, I do think, of course, we're going to see another one. It's just like, how rare are they going to be? We used to be able to bank that we would have one of these every single year, and we now have a two-year stretch without a legendary running back. So we can either say it's variance. This was just a two-year low-period stretch, and then next year it bounces back. I think it has a lot to do with 2017, that draft class getting old. We have you know 2023 ushering in right now. But in the modern NFL, it's really tough to say. But I think at the very least, we can draw a conclusion that if legendary running backs are going to be this rare, are they worth still chasing in favor of running backs over wide receivers because of this upside that has been pretty elusive the last two years? And the reason I say this is when we look at the data, right, the, the screenshot I've had pulled up here this entire time is I looked at the top 24 picks in ADP from Best Ball Mania 3, and I sorted them by advance rate out of round one. Again, 
two divided by 12, 16%. 16% or better means that you were, at the very least, you weren't a detriment to your team. You were a hit. 25% plus means that you were a super, super dominant player. You really moved the needle to the point where you took your win rate odds from one out of six to one out of four. That's a massive, massive jump or, you know, three divided by 12 instead of two divided by 12. So when we look at it this way, 16% plus is kind of highlighting the floor. We have 13 running backs in the top 24, nine wide receivers, two tight ends. The two tight ends is a little bit of a small sample to take anything away there, but the running backs, 46% of them had a 16% or better advance rate, 56% of the wide receivers, both tight ends. So in terms of the floor, wide receivers just barely edged out running backs, tight ends, too small of a sample to really declare anything. But when we look at the ceiling, none of the running backs, even as good as Saquon, even as good as Eckler, even as good as McCaffrey was this year, not a single one of them had a better than 25% advance rate. You had 0% of the running backs in the first two rounds give you a 25% or better advance rate. You had four of the nine wide receivers. That's the craziest part is that you had five wide receivers that were hits. Four of those five gave you super difference-making production in that 25% plus area. So wide receivers are now one of the safest picks you can make in round one and two. I would really honestly, you can shrink that just to round one if you wanted to. Oh, no, Tyree Kill in round two gave you a huge, huge advantage. But Jefferson, Diggs, Devontae Adams, Tyree Kill gave you a bigger advantage than any of the running backs drafted in that same range, which is really, really impressive. And it speaks to the lack of a legendary running back. The only way to counter that is if one of these running backs came out here with, you know, like a 30% plus win rate and was the guy you needed to have. Unfortunately, again, we haven't had that in two years. So I'm not going to sit here and say that we're not going to have another legendary running back. We will, right? That's just how the game works. I just don't know if it's going to be a thing that we have every single year at this point. So it's going to be something that we kind of have to adapt to and adjust to as we move on here. Um, my one other thing would say would be, I think it's going to be surprising. We'll see what the consensus one-on-one is. It wouldn't shock me at all if this would be the first time we had like a wide receiver as our consensus one-on-one, a guy who goes one-on-one in your home league since Antonio Brown's like freaky stretch where I think that he was in the mix for one-on-one at a certain point in time. Now, after that, our third takeaway here, is the RB dead zone might not be a thing any longer. I think that it's still a thing in home leagues because home leagues, they just push all the running backs up. But outside of that, if you're playing in high stakes leagues, if you're playing on underdog, you're playing in any of these sharp spots, the dead zone might not be, you know, as prevalent as we sort of thought it was going into the season. Where if we look through here, that's not what I was looking for. If we look through here, hold on. Here it is. And this is kind of the flip side of the lack of legendary running backs. Is we kind of had like a, I almost call it a dead zone running back resurgence, where if we look here, I will say as a disclaimer, this is one year of data, could be a blip on the radar, could be a, a, a sort of theme moving forward. But when we look here at pretty much the same thing in rounds three through six, 16% plus advance rate, you had 11 running backs drafted, 26 wider series. So that's pretty interesting. We're, we have uh, running backs, like essentially like RB 14 to R or like RB 13 to RB 24 going in the rounds three to six area. But in terms of wide receivers, you have, right. We just had in the top two rounds, nine wide receivers, 26 after that. So you have like wide receiver 10 through like wide receiver 30 something in this area. Uh, the tight ends were awful, four of them, and then seven quarterbacks. And when we look here, the running backs had a 64%, 16% plus advance rate, wide receivers 42%, tight ends 0% across the board, really, really bad. 
uh, quarterbacks were 71%, which is insane. The, the quarterbacks had a really, really crazy floor. And then the 25% plus advance rate, the running backs were at 18%, wide receivers 12%. So the running backs give you a higher floor in the dead zone than wide receivers. And they also give you a higher ceiling than wide receivers in the dead zone. Tight ends, of course, 0% again. And then the quarterbacks had a 43%, 25% plus advance rate, which was more than the running backs and wide receivers combined, a higher hit rate, which is insane. So there's a couple takeaways here where underdog is hyper, hyper efficient. It's not going to look like your home league. Underdog's a spot where it is super efficient. It's probably going to look very similar to like if you hopped on my Discord and ran a redraft league or did one of the redraft leagues, we did a, a basement tournament. Uh, if you just hop on sleeper and join a random league, I would imagine that ADP is probably pretty, pretty sharp. Um, the only thing that I would say wouldn't really be applicable for this would be, uh, super traditional, like, uh, casual home leagues and like those like Yahoo, like random type leagues. But this is kind of the way the game is shifting. Broad takeaways is running back completely outbeat wide receivers this year in the dead zone, which is really humbling because, our entire thesis this year was if you're going to take stabs on running backs early, you take it in round one or two because they have access to that legendary running back upside, and then you draft your wide receivers in the dead zone. Well, here's the issue. There were no legendary running backs, so it wasn't worth chasing running backs into those first two rounds. And then from rounds three through six, the wide receivers weren't all that great. It really was this year. If you're going to get your wide receivers, it should have been early. Uh, it should have been. Tyreek, Jefferson, Devontae Adams, Stephon Diggs. There were a lot of misses on, on wide receivers in this area, and there's wide receivers getting pushed up, especially an underdog in a half PPR format that probably shouldn't have been pushed up. And the running backs were hitting, right? You had Josh Jacobs, you had Chubb in this area. Um, you had, I want to say, I want to say like James Conner wasn't bad. I want to say there were a lot of guys in that area that didn't completely bust like they usually would. So it's really tough to wrestle with sort of how to view this moving forward. And I still don't really have a concrete takeaway because, again, it's one year of data. It was a year without a legendary running back. And it was a year where dead zone running backs historic just went on an absolute historic run. And I will say, I think the, the biggest thing to take away here is that after you get those wide receivers early, it doesn't feel great. Like just I think that I kind of just have to get myself out of that, you know, late round quarterback view that I've sort of hammered into my head of, like I'm, I've never been a guy who was the first guy to take a, a quarterback in a draft room, no matter what. And I think I have to sort of lean away from that. Again, I think cost is going to change a lot. Like I said, I think there's going to be quarterbacks that aren't going to be available in the dead zone, right? So last year, Josh Allen, like the quarterback one was available in the dead zone. I think you're going to see the top two to three quarterbacks not available in the dead zone. I think we're going to see some quarterbacks go round one, round two next year, especially in like redraft, uh, half PPR, all of that kind of stuff. So it depends. Even then, the other quarterbacks still hit really well, like Jalen Hurts hit, uh, Burrow hit in the dead zone. Um, I think that was pretty much it, but still something to really, really look at. Um, we'll kind of touch on it later in terms of tight ends here, but I, I also want to dive into a little bit um, Josh Jacobs and just the dead zone in general, because this wasn't something that buried me, right? Like, I still did really well this year. It wasn't something that buried me, but it was something that I definitely something that I definitely whiffed on where like our, our whole strategy this year was running back early. If we want to, um, you could always go hero RB zero RB. So like we had, like it wasn't go in, take two running backs and hammer wide receivers, but that was a general idea. And the dead zone running backs really didn't hurt you that much. Um, so when we talk about our fourth takeaway here, it's that Josh Jacobs completely owned me. 
also here here are like the the biggest uh you know the biggest dead zone type running backs here and Josh Jacobs had the highest advance rate from all of best Mania three so if you want to say someone's a legendary running back it was Josh Jacobs the issue is is that he gave you a massive advantage for where you drafted him but he was more uh kind of like Devonta Freeman's big season where you could get him like super late and then he was amazing. He wasn't so much like, and he still didn't even have a 20 plus point per game. Uh, but he was someone that, you know, won people a lot of money, a lot of leagues and got like 11% better advance rate than the other guys. I was lucky though. Pollard was a big guy that we were going after. Ramondre Stevenson was, so those late round running backs. And if we look at these late round running backs are still pretty dominant. Like in terms of guys that are early or, or you know, dead zone and earlier, were Jacobs, Chubb, McCaffrey, Eckler, Saquon. Outside of that, Pollard was a late guy, Sanders was a late guy, Jamal Williams was late, Ramondre was late, late P. Ryan, Walker, Foreman, Pierce, Khalil Herbert, Jarek McKinnon, Jeff Wilson, Kenyon Drake, Raheem Moster, all of these guys that we were taking swings on late. I still do think that there's a lot of value to be had from running backs late. I guess the takeaway is, again, one year of data, we're going to do some digging in the offseason. I don't want to make any super, super, you know, broad brush type claims, but something to be aware of is that the running back dead zone might not be a death sentence, if that makes sense, where we can take stabs, which we already were doing. It just wasn't really the the archetype. I mean, we took we took stabs on Brees Hall, which was amazing. We took, st- I mean, he got hurt, but that was one of the dead zone guys we liked, ETN as well. So we were taking stabs in the dead zone. We just weren't targeting Josh Jacobs is really what it came down to. Um, so Josh Jacobs, the fourth takeaway, he completely owned me. My biggest fades, he absolutely smashed, even more so given his ADP, right, where he was a guy that probably would have been like around 3-4 pick uh, before, you know, guys like me and Overzet and all of these uh, big fade RBs guys came out and said, you know, fade the dead zone. He was a guy that you could get in like round 7, round 8. And when you pair that with him just absolutely smashing, being the RB3 in points per game, you get someone that gives you a 46% advance rate, right? That takes your odds from one out of six to like almost one out of two to advance out of that league. Um, so I think moving forward, we have to be really hyper aware of the cost, right? Especially with Jacobs, someone that would have been a third, fourth round pick, even if he is a dead zone running back by definition, there was a massive, massive discount on him. Again, in previous years, he would have been pushed up two, three, four rounds from where you could get him. Um, I will say he was one of my biggest fades, but he was on my best redraft managed team uh from this year uh or not my best regular season one I won the championship I went Eckler round one and then I went hero RB I didn't take another running back until Josh Jacobs in round eight and that was perfect so I still had him on some teams he wasn't a complete complete fade for me I do hate that I kind of bucketed him in as a fade he wasn't the same type of hard fade um as other guys that were sort of going in that dead zone-ish type area but he was still someone that I wasn't drafting a ton of so it's tough to thread the needle between, you know, this guy is a massive, massive value in the dead zone, but he's also a dead zone running back with a, you know, non-explosive profile that I don't love. Um, so it's tough to really thread that needle, but just something to, you know, kind of learn from going into next year. He ends up leading the NFL in rushing yards. He's the RB3 in points per game, has the highest advance rate of anybody. I was lucky that I wasn't all the way out on him again. I had him on a redraft managed team. I wasn't completely, completely off Josh Jacobs, but he was somebody I was putting in videos as fade. So I do feel bad that I think maybe some of you guys watched the video of mine where like Josh Jacobs was someone I'm not going to draft. Um, I still stand behind the idea that in home leagues, he was still going like round four, round five. And I think that that was a fine price not to buy in on. And he just popped out of nowhere. But 
in those lobbies like underdog and that high stakes redraft league that I actually drafted him in the round eight, you know, round seven, round eight was a spot where you were just being stubborn if you don't take Josh Jacobs at that point. Um, now, I was lucky to have Pollard or Roger Stevens as two of my bigger guys that were targets. So I was passing on Jacobs in round six, round seven, four, Ramondre um, and Pollard in round like, you know, seven, eight, nine. So still made out fine there, but just something to keep keep in mind. Josh Jacobs is completely owning me and all of the zero RB bros this year. Now, after that, we have number five, the rookie wide receiver report. And this is something that we would do every single week in the offseason. And I figured, you know, let's put a bow on this. So I uh, took down all of the target per out run, yards per out run, PFF grade stats from the entire season, just weeks one through 18. I didn't want to include any postseason stuff. And I kind of just wanted to go through uh, a bit of an overview on how I feel about everybody. I ranked these guys by PFF grade which is one of the you know strongest indicators for year one wide receivers. And I tiered them in my notes. So we're going to tier these guys, how I feel about them moving forward, kind of in dynasty, kind of next year for redraft, just sort of how I group these guys in my head. And of course, S tier, I have Garrett Wilson, Drake London, Chris Olave, superstar trajectory, 80 plus PFF grades across the board. Garrett Wilson's 85.9 is absolutely nutty. Uh, elite targets per outrun. Garrett Wilson, not as much, but Garrett Wilson had some difficult things to to climb up where his catch rate was tough. Um, his quarterback play was tough. I guess it doesn't really affect targets per out run, but I do still think that he was fine. He wasn't even a full-time wide receiver until like week four, week five. Um, but all of them look really, really solid. Uh, there's really not much more to say about them. After that, we have A tier who has one wide receiver. And that's Christian Watson. Christian Watson dominated for a stretch of games. He was sort of like a, he was almost on a league winner trajectory, but he uh, got hurt at the end of the year, got hurt beginning of the year, had like a bunch of stints with like concussions and stuff. Uh, and he also didn't grade as like that can't miss 80 plus PFF grade, but he's still someone that has just massive, massive, massive upside. 24% target per run is an elite number. He was commanding targets as kind of this like downfield uh, raw wide receiver coming in, which is really, really impressive. And then a 2.26 yards per run, super efficient, Big play guy, commanding targets, second round draft capital, really, really promising moving forward. It's just a little bit less of a sure thing because of the PFF grade, because of all the injuries, and because of a smaller sample uh, than these other guys, and also a weaker prospect profile than guys like Wilson, London, and Olave. Then we have B tier, which is four wide receivers. I have Traylon Burks, Jamison Williams, Jahan Dotson, George Pickens in that next tier and B tier. They all had like promising rookie seasons with solid prospect profiles. You have Burks. Looked great on a per route basis, right? Above a 20% target per route run is fine. 1.75 plus yards per route run, also pretty fine in this area. He fizzled out towards the end of the year, like had a really strong start. Uh, looked really good against the Packers on Thursday night, and then he got hurt again. It sucks. A lot of these guys kind of got derailed by injuries, but he had injuries. He had like Josh Dobbs towards like down the stretch of the season. Still looked fine on a per route basis and has a strong prospect profile. I'm still comfortable betting on Burks moving forward. Jamison Williams, complete black box at this point. He never had over, he never had double digit routes in a single game this year. The Lions really slow pay, play that ACL. I think that they're going to really unleash him next year. Uh, I know like his efficiency, like yards per run looks bad. PFF grade looks bad, but again, it's on a really, really small sample. He commanded nine targets. Only four of them were deemed catchable. Speed looks special. He beat the Jets defense that got called back. He beat, um, the Packers defense in round, uh, week 18, that got called back. Uh, he had a lot of really big plays get called back. 
I'm excited to see kind of what he looks like as a full-time NFL wide receiver. I think that he does have that second gear, or not that second gear, but that top gear that only guys like Tyree Kill can really match and like Jalen Waddle type guys. So he's really fun. Dotson came alive towards the end. He was kind of a low-key like league winner. Uh, he's not going to face plant, which are guys who, you know, have a really bad year one and are bad bets moving forward. He won't face plant, and he went in the first round of the NFL draft, so you kind of have to respect that. Uh, after that, you have George Pickens, who I'm being really generous towards here. His rookie year sucked. He had sub-20% target sprout run. Right When you look at his yards per run, or target per run, 14.5%, less than Alec Pierce, less than Jahan Dotson, only ahead of Tyquan Thorne and David Bell. Really, really not good stuff. 1.38 yards per out run. Not great either. He wasn't efficient. He wasn't commanding targets. The PFF grade didn't pop. But this is a profile I like. He won't face plant because the market absolutely loves George Pickens. He's done nothing but gain value since not really doing much in the NFL. And the one beacon of light for him is that he looked really, really good in recession perception. He had a complete green route tree, I believe. He was getting open. Matt Harmon sort of wrote that Matt Canada was deploying him in a really bad way. He was running go routes way above league average about a third of the time. And he was essentially just running wind sprints with Kenny Pickett at quarterback, who isn't a, you know, downfield thrower. He can't get it from the opposite hash 40 yards downfield. It's not really his game. After that, we have C tier, which has two wide receivers. I like Romeo Dobbs and Wandale Robinson here. Dobbs is someone I'm very interested in. Day three guy comes right in right away, pops right away with Aaron Rodgers. He commanded targets. One of the only guys on this list with a 20% plus target per out run. Wasn't super efficient, but we don't really chase efficiency here. Day three guy, again, the fact that he just popped more than, you know, the guys below him with better draft capital, I think means a lot. And you have Wondell Robinson, who would probably be B tier if it wasn't for the ACL injury, but there's not really a crazy high ceiling there, but a uh, crazy high ceiling with the low A dot coming off the injury, but really strong prospect. He commanded targets out the gate, produced out the gate. So for that reason, I'm still interested. Then you have D tier. And this is kind of where it gets ugly. Uh, you have Sky Moore, Rashid Shahid, and Alec Pierce. And this is a weird bunch of guys. Alec Pierce and Sky Moore are on faceplant watch. You have a huge riser in Shahid, or Rashid Shahid. And Rashid Shahid is someone that I love. He's a crazy, crazy name to pronounce, but PFF grade. 78.6. That is a really crazy grade for a guy like Rashid Shahid. That is better than Christian Watson, Jahan Dotson, all these other guys who played pretty well, like especially Christian Watson who played pretty well. His PFF grade is great. His yards per out run led the entire class. And it's not like this is a really small sample. He had like 175 plus routes. It's really impressive. Really the only concern with Rashid Shahid is there's not this massive ceiling. He's going to be kind of like a DJ Chark, Robbie Anderson, deep threat, high A dot, a low target share type guy, but still someone that can give you spike weeks and be interesting and in the mix in fantasy. The only concern, he's an undrafted free agent, which means the Saints have no allegiance to him. They could cut him tomorrow, guarantee him no money. He could be forgotten about super quickly. Like think about the guys in the past, like Travis Fulgham. If you remember him, he popped for the Eagles and then just completely vanished. There's been a, a lot of guys like that. I think another one that played for the Saints a while back, <coughs> Cameron Meredith might've been a, a similar type of story. There's a lot of guys who can get kicked to the curb pretty, pretty easily in the NFL. So I wouldn't be all in on Rashid Shahid, but he's someone I'm very interested in if the Saints, you know, keep around and let him be like a featured wide receiver in the offense. Now, after that, you have Sky Moore. The only thing you can really be happy about with Sky Moore is 19.2% target per out run. That's somewhat encouraging. At this point, we're clinging on to a pretty clean prospect profile. The fact that he has Mahomes at quarterback, along with like Juju's a free agent, uh, MVS might be a free agent. I don't know. A lot of their wide receivers are, are set to be free agents. 
Kelsey's getting older. He also had a strong, like, I don't think he's been strong in the playoffs, but this last week, he filled in after, like, McColl went down, Tony went down. Uh, they had one other wide receiver go down as well, and he stepped in there, looked good. He had pretty much the play of the game where he returned that punt return, like, uh, 30 yards uh, into en enemy territory, and, you know, they won the game because of that punt return. He returned it so far in, like, the last, like, 30 seconds of the game, so... That's something that, you know, is kind of a feather in his cap that he helped out in their playoff runs. Maybe that sort of carries over. But again, doing a lot of wishful thinking here with Sky Moore. And then you have Alec Pierce, who did a bunch of nothing, but he ended up sixth in receiving yards among rookie wide receivers, which is pretty solid. Uh, it's tough to expect a ton of production and efficiency from him when you are a high A dot downfield weapon, catching passes from, you know, Matt Ryan, Nick Foles, Sam Ellinger, guys who I don't think you'd be comfortable throwing like over 30 yards downfield. So it's just a, a really tough match, right? Sort of like uh, DJ Chark when he was catching passes from like Jake London or not Jake London, Jake Lutton uh, in that like band of quarterbacks that one year where they couldn't really get him the ball downfield. I think it's similar with Alec Pierce here, but that's one I'm like, I'm not going to stick my neck out for Alec Pierce. Uh, Eats here, really, really bad. Taekwon Thorne and David Bell all the way at the bottom here. <sighs> Jeez, dude. 10.5% target per out run for David Bell, which is awful. 0.7 yards per out run, 52.1 PFF grade. Really, really bad. And I liked David Bell coming out a little bit. Really tough. Tyquan Thorne, I think, is dead. David Bell, maybe maybe he rebounds in some way, kind of like Rondale Moore did a little bit this year. But just really, really bad signal uh, across the board for those guys. Now, hopping into our other takeaways. Man, this is going to be a long video, guys. I didn't mean for it, but it's all good. Uh, six takeaway. Year one and two wide receivers are still king. There were big targets for us. Uh, in my wide receiver breakout target video, I had like seven wide receivers. I think they were uh, Waddle, Amon Ross St. Brown, Elijah Moore, Garrett Wilson, Ayuk, and Tony. I think Tony and Elijah Moore are really the only two misses on there. Um, Garrett Wilson, Waddle, Amon Ross St. Brown absolutely smashed. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown and Waddle were year two wide receivers, and they were both top five among all wide receivers in advancement rate from round one, 27% and 29%. You also had Garrett Wilson in there, who's a year one guy. Devonta Smith in there, a year two guy. Christian Watson in there. Really, really strong stuff. Still across the board, we'll be targeting these year one and two guys. I even like the year three breakouts, right? That was someone that we wanted to make a, a point of after uh, Debo, Deontay Johnson, Marquise Brown popped uh, two seasons ago. Didn't happen this year, but still pretty firm on year three wide receivers being guys we should want to chase now our seventh takeaway is we should probably operate with a lot less certainty around team situations outside of those blue chip stocks right like we know what the chiefs are going to be we know what the bills are going to be we know what the Bengals are going to be but outside of that we operate with so so much certainty man the market was so certain this is something that we were big on last year and we've done a lot of you know miss on josh jacobs we talked a lot about guys that we missed on eagles were one of our biggest hits i told you guys Yes, the Eagles were 29th in pass rate over expectation last year. They ran the ball a ton, but they trade for A.J. Brown. They don't get another running back in that running back room. It was very, very clear that they wanted to pass the ball, and the entire market treated this wide receiver room. They treated the quarterback. They said, you know, they're going to run the ball too much. Jalen Hurts won't throw enough. Devonta Smith and A.J. Brown, they both can't be relevant in fantasy. They go out there. I know A.J. Brown finishes a wide receiver one. Devonta Smith finishes like a like wide receiver 13, wide receiver 14 on the year. They both smashed. They both were really good. And they went from a 29th pass rate over expectation team to a 10th. 
So when we see big changes, right, like AJ Brown coming into the offense, we can't just operate on the assumption that, you know, this rookie coach came in, he did it one way this year, they made a massive change, they traded their first over, their first round pick for AJ Brown, assuming that they were just going to do the same exact thing, run it back with Miles Sanders, I think was super, super arrogant and just wrong. So that was a big win for us. And then I think across the board, any of these like offensive changes, right? Like if a play caller gets changed, even if you don't think they're good, you should probably still lean into that uncertainty, right? Where, you know, the Jaguars were really, really bad. They're coming into this year with Trevor Lawrence, who didn't look great. But then they get Doug Peterson, a head coach who has had good offenses in the past. And they go from the 27th best offense last year in DVOA, which is just football outsiders efficiency, to the ninth best offense. Same thing with the Lions. They fire uh, Anthony Lynn, and they bring in offensive coordinator Ben Johnson, new OC. And they were being priced as an awful, awful offense this year. You got discounts across the board on all of the Lions. Amon Ross St. Brown, Goff, Jamal Williams, uh, Hawkinson, all of these guys. They go from the 29th best offense to the fifth. Same thing with the Seahawks, right? They trade away Russell Wilson. We're like, it's all over. But... Yes, no one no one could have thought that Geno Smith would have been as good as he was, but it should have at least been something where this is a team that has a lot of continuity across the board. Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, they invested in the offensive line. Sure, you know, maybe it could have gone south, but you were getting a discount across the board. That was the cheapest you could have gotten DK Metcalf this year since his rookie year. It was probably like the cheapest you could have gotten Tyler Lockett in a few years, and all of them paid off pretty well so you kind of have to lean into these offenses that are making big changes of course you could have things swing the opposite way you can have something like the Jets where it's like oh we don't know what Zach Wilson is let's lean into the Jets offense still worked out with Garrett Wilson and Brees Hall I, I might say but it wasn't quite the same thing the offense was still bad so I'm just saying when you're getting a massive massive discount on these offenses because of the uncertainty whether that's you know a year two quarterback we don't know if we're confident in or uh you know Geno Smith, or they bring in a new coordinator after a bad year, we should probably lean into that if these players are being, you know, pushed down draft boards because of that. Uh, our eighth takeaway is <coughs> something I haven't really looked at since I first got into fantasy. Like it was uh, kind of popular. I remember um, I'll always give him his flowers, the pod father, Matt Kelly. He was one of the first shows I watched or listened to religiously uh, over at Player Profiler spot where I first started writing articles actually and a big big point I think it was just across the board a big point in fantasy was you either take a, uh, a tight end early or you take a tight end late and I think I fell into the trap this year of you know we look at these tight ends or not this one here but we look at these tight ends and I thought the middle the middle tight ends this year weren't like others and I kind of went on a limb here and I said you know we had Kyle Pitts this young phenom, ton of upside, George Kittle and Darren Waller, two guys we've seen already put up elite tight end seasons. And I was like, you know what? I like the middle round tight ends this year. If I miss on Kelsey, if I miss on Andrews, I'm fine. You know, getting that elite advantage at tight end with a Waller, with a Kittle, because we've seen them do it in the past. And they all had rock solid arguments to get taken there. But historically, those middle round tight ends have been bad bets. And they were bad bets again. All of those guys didn't return a 16% or better advancement rate. They all hurt your team. Even Kittle, who was pretty damn good. Uh, we've seen this in the past, right? Uh, we had Zachert's final year in Philly. He was like a round five guy. Absolutely stunk. Uh, Eric Ebron had that like 13 touchdown season with the Colts. The next year he was overdrafted. Absolutely stunk. Uh, Evan Ingram after his rookie year pushed up draft boards. Absolutely stunk. 
Mark Andrews in 2020, before his breakout in 2021, was actually a really bad pick in the middle rounds. You had Dalton Schultz this year, just all of these guys. So I think it's a decent rule of thumb, even though every year is different. And I love to zoom in on every year and say, you know, this is why this isn't the year you should fade tight end in the middle rounds. I'll probably get bamboozled because we'll probably see Kyle Pitts in like the round four area, round three, four, five area this year. And I might be all the way back in on that price. But something that we really want to drill in is, you know, outside of those guys, there's value to be had elsewhere, right? We would look here, you know, I would say a decent rule of thumb would be like rating till round eight. So that's like past pick 72. And you can see here, right, when we we sort by advance rate, Kelsey was a monster, but then you had Evan Ingram was a monster. Taysom Hill was great. Hawkinson was pretty good. Dallas Goddard, Cole Komet, Mike Gusecki, David Njoku, Tyler Conklin, Pat Fryermuth. Like you could find tight end production on waivers in your managed league, right, where you could have picked up a David Njoku might have been sitting on waivers. Evan Ingram might have been sitting on waivers. Like there were a lot of guys that you could have just picked up and kind of strung things together. And I think you're probably better off doing that then using, you know, premium, you know, top five round draft capital on a tight end, even if you really believe in that profile. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to completely fade Kyle Pitts next year, but he's probably going to be somebody that we should have some reservations on just based on that price and what that has been historically in those middle rounds. Now, my ninth takeaway or lesson learned is I have a couple guys that I want to forgive going into 2023. Some guys that are, I think are going to be discounted because they had really bad 2022 seasons, but I kind of want to highlight them as guys to not, to, to, these aren't guys that I think are clear targets next year, but guys that I think if they get pushed down a ton and the discount is there, I'll be very much interested in them. And the first guy we have is Deontay Johnson. This is a guy still getting open, demanding targets. He just had 147 targets and zero touchdowns. That was like a record. Uh, the touchdown lock will swing back. I'll take the discount on Deontay Johnson all day again. He gets open. He commands targets. He's a fine, like, wide receiver two-type archetype. Then I have Debo Samuel, who was the wide receiver eight in expected points per game this year. So just based on his targets, his eight out, all of that, how many points per game should he be scoring? He should have been the wide receiver eight. He ended up as the wide receiver 28. And it was the first time he actually underperformed his expected points per game. Usually, he is a monster efficiency type guy, right? The year that he had his huge 2021 season, he overperformed his expected points per game by 6.1 points per game. This past year, he underperformed his expected points per game by minus two. So that's an eight-point gap, which is really, really far. I think it'll be somewhere in the middle where he'll either be at like zero or like plus two next year. This is a guy who's still really talented. We saw him pretty much bail the 49ers out against the Cowboys on that like super, super long touchdown run. I'll buy at a discount if he is someone that you can get instead of like paying round two last year. If you can pay like round four, round five, I will be very, very much interested in Debo. I was at Marquise Brown listed here. I have a bunch of players listed here. Uh, he had injuries. His quarterback had injuries. It sort of threw off Hollywood, but through the first six weeks before he got hurt, he was the wide receiver seven in points per game with 18.3 points per game. So of course things are a little bit wonky where Kyler has a torn ACL going into next year. So who knows who his quarterback is going to be in round one uh, or week one, but I think that might be priced in to Hollywood Brown. Then we also have JT. And I just think any guy who like busts in a big way at 101, you're going to get a lot of, you know, people being like, oh, I'll never touch JT again. He had injuries. He had like a dysfunctional, like the head coach got swapped from Frank Reich to uh, Jeff Saturday. There were like three different quarterbacks at times. The O-line was absolutely awful for a team in the Colts who have had a really good offensive line for some time now. I still think, especially in this, this world we're talking about where there's no legendary running backs and guys giving you like 24 plus points per game, 
JT is probably a decent bet to give you that 21, 22 points per game that has been the ceiling the last two years. So I think he's a fine pick if he ends up as like a mid to late first rounder because of that. He had no injury issues in college. So I don't really buy into like the injury prone type stuff. You have Elijah Moore, great prospect, great year one, crazy bad year two. Reminds me of Ayuk where Ayuk was put in the doghouse. Elijah Moore was kind of put in the doghouse after he requested a trade. They didn't fly him to Denver and then they played Denzel Mims over him for a few weeks. Like it was really, really bad. Zach Wilson held back this offense. He'll be a full-time wide receiver in this offense next year. They're going to have a quarterback upgrade. Hopefully, it's Aaron Rodgers. Imagine Elijah Moore catching passes from Aaron Rodgers. Could easily see him as like a high-end wide receiver three next year, giving you that like kind of year three breakout-ish type candidate, kind of like what Ayuk was this year. Ayuk wasn't a guy who smashed, but he was a guy who was a positive if you drafted him. Uh, after that, I have Javante. ACL recovery is going to be really tough, uh, but he is just 22. He had a 17.5% target share, which again, in the age of players not having that crazy, crazy ceiling, if you're going to have Javante, who is this workhouse running back between the tackles, but then also have a 17.5% target share, that's really impressive. The only guys with a higher than 17.5% target share this year were CMC, Eckler, Kamara. So if he can really catch like that, and he is the tackle breaker, like elusiveness, uh, elusive guy between the tackles, that's a really, really special profile. Now, of course, ACL, so I don't know if that's going to be this year or next year, but just somebody that I don't want to completely sour on because of kind of the Broncos debacle plus injury. And then we have as our final one here, Gabe Davis. Now, the nerds are ready to pounce on Gabe Davis, right? He finishes at the wide receiver 36. Uh, everybody and their brother was saying, like, it, it was just this, these two polar sides where it was like, he's catching passes from Josh Allen. Um, he's good on a per route basis. We like him. The other side was... He doesn't have a good target share. He doesn't command targets. We don't like him. And all I want to say is that he finished with the wide receiver 36, but that wasn't a terrible outcome. You were probably drafting him in like the, the late 20s in terms of wide, like late 20s, early 30s as wide receiver. And he gave you a 19% advance rate, which was right next to McLaurin and Juju, who are also drafted in the same area as him. So he didn't like sink your team if you drafted him. He still gave you a better than average win rate. He still gave you massive, massive spike weeks that helped you out. So if we're getting a discount on Gabe Davis, and they don't add a big-name wide receiver to that room, and it's still Josh Allen there, I'll probably be in on his price in 2023. Now, our final takeaway is Double Hero RB crushed again. First, we have uh, Pat Crane's team here, where he went Eckler, he went Saquon, and then he didn't take another running back until Ramondre Stevenson in round 10. Again, even in a year like this year where there, there wasn't a legendary running back and like the best advance rate guys came out of round one uh, at wide receiver... It was still a really, really strong year to go double hero RB. And that was something we talked about. Our most viewed video on this channel is this draft strategy. How this strategy won a million dollars last year. We'll probably do another video. It won $2 million this year. Double hero RB is now back-to-back -back in winning these big tournaments. And if we look to this team all the way to the left, that's my team. Uh, I got fifth place in the NFFC Online Championship. One, didn't didn't quite win $2 million like Kareem, but won $12.5K, whatever you want to call it, from pretty much double here RB. I went McCaffrey, A.J. Brown, then Fournette. So a wide receiver in between. But between that A.J. Brown pick and Fournette, there were zero running backs taken. Um, I could have taken Fournette, but then gotten a worse wide receiver. So I would call this like kind of double here RB, but it did crush. If you, if you went double hero up top and then you didn't take another running back until round 10 plus, you probably crush this year as long as you got those two running backs somewhat correctly um right you could have gone Saquon Eckler could have also gone like uh Dalvin Cook Najee Harris which would have been really really ugly so 
just something to think about. Double Hero RB, even though there wasn't like this huge, crazy running back, Double Hero RB did crush. I would say Hero RB did pretty well. I would say all of the draft strategies we promoted this year did pretty well. So across the board, we did well. Um, just wanted to sort of give you guys some super, super broad takeaways from this year. I hope you guys take something from this video. Um, feel free to kind of pick my brain in the comments on any of these like overarching themes. I think we'll, we'll dig into a lot of them, especially I really, really need to, to get in on that, that quarterback and best ball stuff. Cause again, it does hurt my soul that we were profitable in dynasty season long redraft managed weekly best ball season long best ball. I still have not really cracked the code there. Haven't won any big prize money. Um, but it's something that we're going to really hammer home this off season. So if you enjoyed this video, hope you did make sure you go down below, subscribe, leave a like, and I will see you guys in the next one. I got the juice. I got the juice. Tenno, Chatham's on. Foolies glad I'm on. Even my haters kind of glad I'm on. Rest in peace to my bag up on. Rapper, song, singer, suspended subpoena from Mr. Meaner.